Hello and welcome back to Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-tracky perspective. I'm here with my usual co-host Paul. Hi. And Matt. Hello. And I'm Liam and we're here today to do something a little different. And rather than uh, talk about some Star Trek episodes or something along those lines, uh, we're going to be talking about some spoofs of Star Trek. Uh, in particular, we're going to be talking about Galaxy Quest, uh, USS Callister, an episode of Black Mirror, and the Orville. Uh, mm. But we're also going to talk about a ton of other Star Trek spoofs as well around those because there are countless spoofs of this franchise. I mean, so, possibly the most spoofed franchise of all time? Probably. probably Star, Star Wars, Wars is neck and neck, compete, isn't it? I yeah. mean, there was a whole section of the Star Wars um, nine-disc anthology Blu-ray set which dedicated like a, like 50 minutes just to spoofs, which they oh. obviously just got all the rights to. Of Star Wars. Of Star Wars, yeah. and they just like put them on one after the other. Like So for, all the way from the 70s up to like Robot Chicken, like they had... That's a really acknowledging like the how big spoofs like play in. It's funny. Know, I think like the- I think Star Wars has more specific things to spoof, but Trek being that little bit older and a little bit more far-reaching has had like the tropes and just the general feel and stuff. So so many things can feel more Trekky. I think it's hard to do any mm-hmm. kind of space exploration show if you're going to go in that mold as we'll see with the Orville layer on and how closely mm. something even if you want to do something new in that space yeah. you've got no choice but to be beholden to what's come before even though with the Orville it's very intentional yeah that's that's a really good point actually like pretty much anything that does a spaceship with a kind of crew um is instantly kind of related to Star Trek. Like, even something like, we've talked about Red Dwarf comparisons a lot Mm. um, on this show, and really, you think, in Red Dwarf, it's not a spoof of Star Trek or anything like that. It's very much completely its own thing. Um, But because it's a crew on a ship, instantly people still relate it to Star Trek, despite being... Thinking back to Red Dwarf, it's amazing how little that does seem to directly spoof Trek. Like we've yeah. talked before of how certain plot scenarios mimic Star Trek from the past before it, and how, funny enough, future Star Trek episodes would do the same ideas that Red Dwarf did in earlier episodes, but they never like have straight up it's a joke about Star Trek. It basically depends like how much time you spend on the bridge. I'm just thinking about another couple mm. of uh, things. Like Star Trek Troopers doesn't spend an awful lot of time like on the bridges of ships. There's a couple of scenes, you know, where they have pilots and a, and a captain in a captain's chair, but most of the time they kind of really look below decks and doing that side of it. Yeah. So it does feel like fresh enough to be its own thing. Yeah, as soon as it's a yeah. bridge and people are in chairs relaying orders and saying Whoa. on screen, yeah. it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> but again, this is the thing with like Red Dwarf. They've got the cockpit of Starbuck and everything, which they're in a lot, and that feels. Like that, but it's it's so it's like a, it's like but, a shuttle. Isn't but it? yeah, like, the feel is so different in terms of the kind of dialogue and the kind of way people are interacting. Yeah. you just don't kind of relate it to. Well, yeah. they usually spend so much time in the mess hall, don't they? I think that's what I always think of Red Wolf first. Yes, it's like it's just the them hanging, yeah, hanging out in the in the bunk room. Yeah. yeah, do we ever see Red Dwarf's bridge in a sense? It's control. It's just mm, going along. I think it? you. I think you might do like once or so like really early on, or maybe in the series where it's all on Red Dwarf. 
wharf kind of thing with the crew back. That's yeah. still kind of like, yeah, like a lounge. The, the only it? time they actually directly spoof Star Trek that I can remember is in that episode Trojan, which is a favourite of yours, I think, yes. where they actually get dressed up in Star Trek-style uniforms because they're on a kind of posher ship and they're trying to put on it, the, the joke is they're, they're actually trying to make themselves look more professional yeah. so they actually dress in Star Trek style kind of costumes and have a sort of bridge moment like that yeah I could totally see Lister just being like the janitor on the Enterprise somewhere like he is that kind of lowly he would be the one trying to repair bloody some well, he's, stuff he's painting the ship outside to make yeah. it look more like the mirror universe <laughs> that's him but anyway we're here to talk about Galaxy Quest right now. Well, that's let's see. Pause the episode if you haven't seen it. Come back. This is your reading list, and then you yeah. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All these things. If you haven't seen them, go and watch them, and then come back and hear us bang on about them. Uh, but we're going to start with Galaxy Quest 1999. A fantastic year in cinema. 99. All, all told. <laughs> the, that would yeah of course that would have been the other big sci-fi movie of the year the <laughs> other big like well, Galaxy Quest we, has ma- been. The Matrix so, yeah. like, got yeah. the Matrix oh, wow. you got Matrix. Fight Club you got which which, which critics hated at the time yeah I mean I love that, that they actually wrote or reproduced the actual negative reviews in the in the booklet for <laughs> Fight Club DVD I mean it's only from DVD onwards that I kind of got like proper following yeah well it didn't do well at the box office certainly kind of thing like um but yeah now it's obviously got a big uh call for, but yeah Phantom Menace I didn't even think about it so actually well that's a bit every trailer for other films were like aping the fact that you you, you actually wanted to watch the trailer of Phantom Menace more than the film you're about to watch like yeah because there was yeah. a I'm pretty sure there was like Austin Powers yeah. uh Spider Shaggy yeah, like trailer that was like if you see one film this year Make it the Phantom Menace. If you see two films this year, <laughs> go see Austin Powers. I mean, that was. Well, oh, that might be South Park bigger, longer. No, it is, it is Austin Powers by Shaggy. Is, I, rem- really? I remember that trailer very well. It's got Doctor Evil basically Being the Emperor, seeming yeah. like he's going to be uh, the Emperor Darth Vader or whatever. <laughs> and I mean, that's a genius piece of marketing, oh, really. So, so soft. It, it reminds me of the biggest fake out as well, where it was like, it was, um, it was like Gotham Mansion, like, well, sorry, Wayne Manor. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotham Mansion. Oh, Gotham Mansion. Where that person lives. Where that person. Um, and it's like going through the halls and just saying, you know, there's one, like, crusader, oh, like, to save one, us. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's going around this dark and hoary, like, and it'd be their origin story. And it's like, you're really thinking, this is Batman Year One, Aronofsky's uh, Batman Year One, and it's turned to be Scooby fucking <laughs> Yeah, I know. The light comes on, and it's like the, yeah, the silhouette of Scooby Doo's ears rather yeah. than, uh, yeah, which yeah. is really good. Trailer. I mean, it got you thinking about it, but like, it was god, just this lost. It got you wishing like, it was another film. Oh like, my god, like, that was such a switch in bait. This lost art of trailer fake outs, where it's like, yeah, we're going to spend a lot of money, basically promoting a different film, <laughs> and at the well, end, last minute, go, it's us, baby. You know, it's early enough on in the days of the internet to get to get away with that mm. shit, basically. Whereas now, everyone's kind of like, well, we know what it is. It's funny, yeah. it's funny as well. A sidebar, like you know, I hate on YouTube now where they do a trailer for the trailer, but oh, yeah. before we to watch the trailer. Where it just, oh like, yeah! Just a five-second clip. Boom! 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 Now trailer debuts tomorrow. Now the trailer. Like, oh yeah! No, the, no, the, it's in the trailer. It's actually, itself. in the trailer. Yeah, I don't. That seems mad. That's it's it. because it's one of those ads that may appear elsewhere, and if someone's going to skip the ad, which is the trailer, they at least get five seconds of unskippable good stuff. I mean, it's funny. It makes it's so it, annoying. It, it reminds me talking about kind of other shows, kind of modelled on such a Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of those, obviously, they go like 
this time on Battlestar Galactica. Like, yeah, and they show loads of clips from the episode before you watch the episode, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a weird trope, and it seems like that, but for a fucking trailer. Mission Impossible does that as well, I think. In the movies, yeah, since, yeah. since yeah. 4 onwards, I guess we haven't seen a I guess that's what they yet. did in the show, and then... Yeah. Oh, no, no, they did it in, in Mission Impossible 1 as well, um, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny, though, I think, I can't remember where I read, but they said 2016 was the first year in which a Star Wars and a Star Trek film came out the same year, so oh, Beyond wow. and Rogue One. They said, if you don't count 99 for Phantom Menace and Galaxy Quest. Yeah. <laughs> which we don't. But. Yeah, 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 wow, yeah, I guess that would be, yeah, no, that would be true, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Right, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> like, uh, well, but yeah, it came 1999, out 1999, directed by our man Dean Pariseau, the big, I think the it is. The biggest thing that's surprising about this film is that it wasn't made earlier, because it's like such rich, like, sort of, you know, material to mine for, like, comedy. Yeah. Like, it was well publicised by this point, like, all the kind of, like, behind-the-scenes, you know, drama of, like, making the original Star Trek. I think that their kind of personalities of the cast, you know... It very uh, much in... could have been an 80s. Yeah, so, it could like, have been... done when Spaceballs was done with those guys. Yeah, but... I reckon it could have been, like, a late 80s, like, real funny film, like, yeah, yeah but... Okay, when well, we got it, we got it. At least we got, got it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true, actually. It does feel kind of like a film from the 80s in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, like, uh... But, yeah, so... W- what did we think of this? I love it. I think it's. I think it is a classic, a modern comedy classic. I yeah. think it, it stands up on also. It stands up as a parody of, not necessarily Star Trek itself, but the whole that whole genre. Uh, a parody well, of yeah. like actors and like hammy TV people and like camp shows. And then, on its own, it stands on its own as its own story. It's, it's got yeah. a lot of weight to it. it. It works so well with character arcs throughout, and it's just hilarious. I think it's. There's a lot baked into it that makes it very timeless. Um, there's no kind of pop culture jokes or obvious branding or anything. Or it's very much in its own. So it's as funny now as it was back then. And I think so many more big studio comedies could look to be more yeah. structured and put together this way to like last. You it know? might be a little bit of Ghostbusters in that it's actually yeah. successful special effects comedy. Like mm-hmm. sometimes uh, I'm looking at Utropic Funder where you see they've just spent $200 million on all this pyrotechnics then tried it, but it's just not funny enough. Uh, 1941, another example. <laughs> uh, you know, but just like, you know, there has been special effects comedies, like, and they just haven't worked, but Ghostbusters is an amazing example. And I think Galaxy Quest is, because like, these, these effects are really good for the most part. I mean, some of the CGI has dated slightly, but, you know, characters like the Rock Man, yeah. I think, are hold up. Like, really those well. aren't played for laughs. They're played to, like, all the space stuff look legit. Yeah. Well, this is the Rock Man as Shatner would have envisioned for Final Frontiers, yes. like Final Fantasy. He would have been so happy with this. Imagine <laughs> if it was Shatner <laughs> darting around, like, on the, you know, on the phone to Spock and McCoy, just going, what do I do with this thing? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as you mentioned, directed by Dean Parasso, who's now going on to apparently direct the Dead Space the music. Very Like, uh, so that's, that's pretty crazy. He's got pedigree. He's got pedigree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, moving on. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, I feel... I like this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I actually feel it's sort of maybe been spoiled for me a little bit by the fact that I didn't see it at the time. Mm. I saw it, like, now, like, more recently. Um, and I, I actually think it's been weirdly influential, this film, in the sense of when it came out, I suppose, like you say, Paul, like, no one had really got around to doing this kind of spoof yet. Yeah. Um, Only then, in 10 minute skits, which, yeah. we'll, get, which we'll get onto. Yeah, uh, which but. they then did. And now, I feel like there's been a lot of Galaxy Quest style 
things mm. since then. Like I've seen other um, TV shows or films and stuff that have done a similar kind of thing to Galaxy Quest and has similar kind of jokes and setup and stuff like that. Um, there was a very this one that sticks out in the mind uh, that Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon did on uh, TV, which is a very similar kind of idea of them having starred in a kind of uh, crappy sci-fi show back in the day. Yeah, Mindhorn um, recently as well. Yeah, Mindhorn, yeah, as well. There's a bunch that have kind of come out, like, uh, since. And I kind of feel maybe that's diluted it a little bit for me. Um, and I I enjoy it. I think it's I think it's really good fun. I think the cast is like amazing. The cast is uh, cast is oh, really amazing. This is what I'm saying. Like this is reminds me of like a bit like when you watch Boogie Nights, you see Philip Seymour Hoffman in a small part, and you go, they didn't realize they had fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. just doing this five minute like turn. And you know you've got. <laughs> it's so many people's debuts. Jay, Justin uh, Long's debut. Yeah, Justin Long. uh, Rain Wilson's debut. Missy Pyle. It's not technically a film debut, but her first part as like a I'm leading a, person. I'm looking at Sam Rockwell. I'm going like this yep. is like a future like Academy Award nominee. Did he win? Yeah, he yes, won. Yeah, he won. He won. Winner. And it's like, yo, this is just it. <laughs> he won. Apparently, uh, he nearly turned this down because he got given a lead in an indie, and mm. Kevin Spacey talked him around. So thanks, oh. Kevin. <laughs> the only thing we'll ever thank you oh, for. Pillow talk. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, Sam Rockwell's just amazing in this. And it's so many of the cast are like big in TV, ironically. Apart from like your Sigourney Weaver. Um, and Alan Rickman Tim Allen you've got Tim Allen Home Improvement's <laughs> Tim Allen Only you've got do. Monk's Tony Shalhoub oh, obviously yeah. go on to do that you've got uh, Dad from Veronica Mars and Enrico Contoni who is amazing yeah so you've got all these kind of like people who are known for TV maybe more now than then even who are in this show about TV actors getting to go big so. it's kind of bizarre isn't it in a film that stars Sam Rockwell uh, Sigourney Weaver Alan Rickman Justin Long, like even Ray Wilson, the Tim Allen is the star. This is great. You know, usually it's just cardboard walls in a garage. So we apologize oh. for operating Whoa. in low power mode, but we are experiencing a hmm, reflective flux field this close to the galactic axis. You know what I could use is a cup holder and a couple of Advil. And he is the star of this film. And he's the star of the show in this. I think he yeah. was terrific. Uh, he is really good. Yeah. He's really good in the role. Yeah. And he totally makes it work. I mean, he, he plays that without, I think, without aping Shatner too much. He totally gets across that, like, yeah, this is clearly oh, well, it, it was a really, like, I, got, I picked up the DVD for £1.50 from CEX, like, so, you know, bargain <laughs> basement, but it was terrific to actually just go and watch the, like, uh, sort of fluff behind the scenes promotional piece from, you know, it's contemporary interviews at the time, and Tim Allen just, like, you know, saying how he's like, oh, they had to keep telling me to stop doing Stallone on the set. So he's modeled himself more on, like, action heroes of the 90s. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and he said, you know, tone down Stallone was, like, his direction. But, you know, he just... I put you know, rather than going for like Shatner, which would have been mm. easy, low hanging fruit, I'm really glad he didn't. He kind of just got this character. Like you, you got so much the sense of him in the first ten minutes, where he's gone from like you can't tell why he's late initially. What is he? Is he drunk? But it's basically because he really is into this. It's his, it's his gravy train, and he loves it. And then he gets that kind of realization that people think he's a bit of like a loser. He goes straight down the other way, and it's like quite a big arc already mm. that he's kind of in this low point. And then he then you get the wonder. You know, he's for real, and just sees the potential of just being in space. And I think there's such a big kid in him that you kind of can't help but like him. 
Yeah, um, and seeing the and the none joy of these the, are like what Shatner tropes yeah. particularly, and the joy of seeing the rest of the cast slowly come around his way of thinking as well. How horrified they are at first, and then they all slowly start fitting into their roles. From yeah, the taking show his and orders. Really yeah, like, like, yeah, because it's like Alexander Dane does. You know, Rickman points out like I was like, why are we taking orders from him at this point? You know, he's just an actor like we are. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, I, I know what you mean because he is likable. You do want him to win out, kind of thing. In the in the thing, I just thrown by this Stallone stuff. Like, yeah, uh, it was like, like Alan going, "Oh, here's my chance to like be the tough guy. I wouldn't be, so I'll pretend to be a guy pretending to be a tough guy on the show, mm. and bring more of that out rather than the Shatnerisms." Yeah, well, it's, I love his roles that he does. I mean, he's bringing a bit of the T.J. Hooker actually, I suppose, into that. But, <laughs> but I know he's like, "Where's your gun?" Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the thing is, I'm now just imagining Stallone playing this part for some reason. Like, yeah, just the that's a completely different career. He could have been funny in that. He could have been, I think. I think he could do comedy. Hopefully, if uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three follows Stallone's new crew, he'll be captain of that. That's true. Yes, yeah, so he'll, he'll get his own galaxy quest. Yeah, yeah it will happen. Um, it's but, great. There's there's a really great um, video essay about the film that I watched. So there's a guy I don't know if you know. He's called Mikey Newman. He's a really good writer and kind of video essayist. And he's got this YouTube series called Movies with Mikey, where he kind of takes films that you wouldn't necessarily think of some of the greats, but that he really likes, and he does these deep dives into why they're so good. And one of his earliest episodes is a Galaxy Quest one, and he laid out these five criteria for why this is a really comedy classic. Like I kind of said, so they are real quickly. Number one. Uh, it's a genre picture that chooses to ground the film in a crafted universe and reality. Number two, the jokes and comedy are timeless in execution without over-reliance on pop culture to drive the humour, like I said mm -hmm. earlier. Number three, the film is cinematic in scope and actually uses the format to make a piece of art. Number four, the story and the dangers inherent to it are real to the characters within it. And number five, it involves an ensemble cast that perfectly captures exactly what the film's going for. And like especially that, like the cast are all so good across the board and they're so committed to what they're doing. And I just feel that was one of the, the things I took away from it, that it feels so structured. It feels like it feels like a Pixar script or something. It feels like every little element, there's so much set up payoff throughout that yeah. most other big genre comedies would just overlook. And it's only like there's a few things recently. I think maybe Game Night recently was one that really took care in the script in what it was doing where concepts like that can just kind of be thrown around and just thrown a load of lazy jokes. Mm. But yeah, and back to the, the, the cinematic scope part, I was saying like I saw this originally in a cinema last year um, at Pitch House Central. I can't remember if it was for an event or it was just a special thing, I don't know. But in the theatres, of course, when you see it, it opens on the TV show aspect. So it's it's one, what's that? One, four by three. Four yeah. by three. And then the real world stuff, I think it's like 177, so a little bit wider. And it stays like that until Tim Allen wakes up on the ship and looks out. And as the doors, the windows open, the screen expands even more to, to whatever oh, the wow. super yeah. wide one is. To kind of ape that awe of seeing space. Wow, so they really, really held that good. back, because on the DVD it doesn't, it goes straight into what, you know, Cinemascope from like five minutes in right, after yeah, you yeah, get yeah. that kind of like, you know, bit of the Galaxy Quest show from the 80s. Yeah. The only thing about that, beginning is I was hoping there would be more like, only Tim Allen's wig is like the only thing kind of making him younger actually isn't it? <laughs> um, I thought they might have done a bit more of a kind of bouffant hairdo for Sigourney but no nah, <laughs> like uh, yeah no it's, it's it's a lot of fun I think the cast is amazing Rickman is really good I, yeah. I was reading into kind of the background of the film and saw that originally in the script Rickman's character was meant to have been like knighted so be a sir so I guess a something like Patrick Stewart or something like that um, 
and he actually said uh no let's not do that because it wouldn't fit in with my character because you know he's full of kind of resentment everything about you know the fact that he hasn't been recognized yeah. for being that kind of he, he in fact he wouldn't get that kind so of so much of his character is being feeling he's been stuck in this part yeah if really he was, was yeah if he was a sir that would be a win for him and mm-hmm. he can't have that and I think that was just really canny on Rickman's part and showed he really knew that character. He knew the honour system inside out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. He was and, uh, you know, really he does, he gets essentially the standout moment of the film, doesn't he? Mm. Where it's, you know, he finally says his line, uh, which he despises with the real kind of, you know, pathos it deserves. That's the genius of the empathy in this film, that he, they can have this whole bit, which is such like a on-the-surface funny moment of him having this corny catchphrase that he hates, and the bits of him at the start with every fan lining up to get his autograph and saying the line, he's just like, give me that fucking thing. <laughs> and to the point where he's saying it for real, with real emotion behind it towards the end, it's such a great yeah. payoff. By Grabthar's hammer. By the sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. Like, and then the second pick up of like him just going out into the corridor to like take down that like guy, yeah. so just running out. I was like, this is so funny. And then you really get, but you don't see the fight, which is great. And then you kind of see him like, was made up, all you know, peeling off. <laughs> I said, like, no, I think the guys can handle it now. It's like just you know, stop smashing, <laughs> beating these people to death. Like. <laughs> It's a lot of anger coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you've got Sigourney as well, Sigourney. who's great in her role. Like, she totally kind of, like, makes that work. She's so great. I love her little moment where she's seeing, I think, all the traps in the corridor. Yeah. And she says, well, screw that. But she clearly says, well, fuck that. But they dubbed over it to keep the PG. Oh, really? Can, yeah, her mouth goes, well, fuck that. And <laughs> she's saying, well, screw that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, um, she had a, a, another moment like was cut out there where she um like basically the two there's two guards bust in on when they press the blue button and they get attracted to us like we don't know why we're attracted to you but then she just starts <laughs> undressing and I bet then closes the door on top of them uh-huh. so they get squished and then she just uses a moment to kind of go that fuck you guys like you know see what happens you see what happens it's like all this like pent up frustration <laughs> being a sex symbol you know she takes out on these two guards I'm in town just like watching kind of completely amused <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting moment like but you know could have fit it would have fit in with the film. Before. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Like round out of her character as well. Right. Like, yeah. Also, in the in the behind the scenes, Tim Allen also revealed that he was teasing Sigourney mercilessly with uh, alien jokes the whole way through the shoot. <laughs> and like, what alien jokes are there? Like, you know, just like everybody was like, anybody going out to it's like, get away from her, you bitch! Like, <laughs> it's like Tim, you've said that every day for the last few weeks. Or was he so, just yeah. like? Falling... You mean you called everybody a bitch by this point? Like <laughs> falling down in front of her with his fist up his t-shirt, being like, oh look at this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. The thing is, Tim Allen, good though he is in this film, like this was his ba- moment. Based on this was based on kind of like his TV career with Home Improvement, and then countless shows where he plays a deadbeat husband who's just awful to his wife. Which I think he's done about five of those. Like, you know, I dread. He's got a new one still. He's like on set. I've seen a t- uh, you know a movie called Joe Somebody with him in. And I think it was... I, I remember laughing. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I remember there was laughter. Joe Somebody. Classic. Yeah. And also, 
Christmas the Crags? Not that one. <laughs> no, there was no laughter. Not, not a future that, Christmas. That was the worst cinema going experience of my life. <laughs> uh, I mean, because yeah, this this is his big. Oh well, no, actually, no, Santa Claus. I suppose. I mean, yeah. I, I prefer this, but mm. Santa Claus would be I his think big, pretty funny live action kind of uh, moment. And then obviously, Toy Story thing, but that's kind of voice work, so we don't have to look at you, Alan. Uh, <laughs> You know, Tim Allen, he's just a wisecracking kid from, mid- from the Midwest looking for answers to all the life's questions, <laughs> which is what his Twitter bio says. It is is it? Yes. Jeez. He's just a wisecracking kid. He's um, just the last man standing. How many times he be married? <laughs> That's the kind of bio of somebody who's married five times. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of aliens, like I love, love, love Sam Rockwell on this, and he said he based his performance partly on Bill Paxton from Aliens, the yeah. whole hysterical, overreacting guy. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I, I think when he breaks down on the shuttlecraft, where he's like, "I thought I was going to be this big, but now I'm really just thinking I'm going to die." Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, that same way when Sigourney's, See my last yeah, name. Sigourney's like, "Guy, you have a last name." He's like, "Do I?" Do I? There's like two, like. Well, he's, he's hosting the convention, isn't he? Yeah. As well, but he but, uh, was on the show once. Yes, as, like, he was on the show as well. Like, oh, I, I kind of thought, like, yeah, I suppose he, Sam Rockwell's representing our card, Roger Lay Jr. here, essentially. <laughs> like, uh, you know, being that kind of, like, guy. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's great in it. And, yeah, he's one of those films where you just go yeah they did they know the cast they had at this point and you know as they would later discover with trying to get the sequel together for years and years and years before alan ripman yes yeah, it was very close apparently yeah i think it and... but because obviously the cast had all gone on to be bigger but there is a continuation happening now isn't there is it somebody's doing it i think really maybe in tv what with a new cast or something like, yeah. no i think carrying on but without Rittman. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think Rittman's death put stop to the end of the movie sequel. But I swear I've read something's going on. I knew, I, I always heard it was kind of between film and TV of what would happen. But I always assumed that Rittman going would have nixed anything kind of like happening. Kind of thing, if you mm. can continue. I mean, part of me kind of hopes it it does nix it because I kind of actually it's think work off. it just I think they hate like something like this it works so like clockwork mm. has such a brilliant like beginning middle end just doesn't need it like yeah. it, is, it said what it needed to say yeah. it did what it needed to do it, it would just be like it, yeah it would be just too much like, more time with people you enjoyed watching but they, it's very much lightning in the bottle I it'd think. be interesting either either it wouldn't work at all or the time away is the thing that could give it that edge where it could be a world where it's long since the show's been cancelled and there's like a reboot of Galaxy Quest out. Well, they did that. That's were... the end of the first film. Is it? It's oh, the next yeah, generation. They, they get a new show, but they're all in it again, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But so imagine a world where, film, like, right? I guess it's been years since the show's been on air. And well, then and they do the kind of JJ, April. Yeah, like, and they're like... Yeah. So it's like them going out on another space adventure with the new cast. So it's like a new cast of all their characters and the two of them. Their generations. That could maybe work. Yeah. Like with uh, Tim Allen's character currently making a documentary about like the uh, <laughs> other, the show or something like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I kind of think, you know, done in one. Um, I don't really actually think in the modern kind of film television landscape it really kind of fits in yeah. uh, particularly well. Um, you can only really hurt its cult status if you go back to that well. Exactly. So I think uh, it's enjoyable, it's good fun. I don't think I'm as enamoured with it as you guys are. Like I, I like it. I think it's it's really good fun. I, I think... It's one of those things where this happens with like a lot of comedy films, I think, like for me, um, 
like before prior to the kind of Judd Apatow revolution of like comedy cinema like where I often kind of just feel they're not quite funny enough in terms of like you're saying Judd Apatow's funny? yeah I I, they're not really real films they're like filmed improv scenarios well I think this is the whereas this is a movie yeah 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 yeah. I think this is part of my thing like in the sense of I I am am a huge fan of Apatow in general obviously he's kind of one of those people who's done so much now his his fingers have touched so much stuff that obviously there's yeah there's hit and miss everything like that but in terms of I feel that there's a definitely a clear cut like when he first comes along into the kind of like cinematic landscape in the early noise, there's a clear change in the way comedy movies are made in the sense of before, yeah, I think it definitely loses something in terms of prior to that, comedy movies are more like they're a movie and they're a movie first and a comedy second. But because of that, it's often like they might be a better film but they're not making you laugh as much kind of all the way through, like consistently. And for me, comedy is the one thing where I'm like, well, the most important thing for me about a comedy film is I'm laughing. I think like you can get away with loads in terms of like the film itself. The film I say is if you're making me laugh. Whereas as soon as Apatow comes on with his style, all of comedy films seem to become a thing about like right this needs to be gag 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 we're always like the dialogue in terms of like we want to be making people laugh all the time and with that kind of improv style that's kind of what happens because everyone is like talking in a funny way all the time that thing like there's a there's a higher gag rate for me in general I do wonder how how well those films of that era the whole kind of noughties era I guess will age then because I think think they're funnier in the moment like to go and see them don't know how There's they are. No rewatchability. Yeah, I don't think many people are going back and rewatching those in the way, which is maybe where we're we're, we're reaching the kind of sweet spot again with stuff like Game Night, where it's like it's yeah. very much a film, but it has the Apatow improv feel yes. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've seen finding, Game Night twice already. Yeah, so. I think they're feeling like you can do a proper film with proper like surprises and structure and all this stuff, and have that style of comedy, and that I think will have people going back to it I think you're exactly right I think that's a kind of and I hope that's where we're going now in the sense of yeah game night really perfect it's it's funny because we've always talked about much about game night (laughs) but like that is a really good example of that feels like a kind of moment where those two have converged where they've gone like we're really making effort to have proper film with a plot and characters and style to it but it's also like you say they're consistently making you laugh all the way through really good dialogue really just fun it's interesting that it feels like that's maybe only coming across now I mean uh, Game Night's on our minds which is why we keep jumping back to it but yeah I wonder if there's many before that which have blended because it's Pineapple like Express I would say yeah that's very much like, a movie yeah. Yeah. yeah but I think that, as you said have been few and far between yeah definitely so. but yeah no that's an interesting uh, discussion but don't get me wrong there's loads of comedy films and stuff I love like prior to that Ghostbusters obviously um, but you know it's just a it's just a thing I like, pick out but I do like it yeah I, I I I was laughing quite a lot in this film like Tony Shalab anytime like his reaction to being you know in on a spaceship was just like yeah, completely accepting of it, whereas everybody else is still blown yeah, away. He's so. a revelation. He does stuff that's on the page that's just like, you know, pretty straightforward, but he, he has a way of delivering anything. Anything, yeah, so funny. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I also really liked um, 
the the, the mess hall scene mm-hmm. where they give the food. It's like we base the food on your, where you're where you're from. Like it's oh, this is great steak, and they give Alan Rickman his beetles, <laughs> just like Mama used to make. <laughs> because I think that's such a great thing about his character is that like uh, Alan gets to he knows his Achilles' heel is that he has to invoke the craft. Like he's basically if you know the show must go on, but also like you know he has to do a performance. Like mm-hmm. if he's not if he's this is the performance of a lifetime, and so he has to keep going for all of this. <laughs> eat the bugs <laughs> I thought that was just genius like uh, yeah, yeah, that that is, particularly as, as Tim Allen's tucking into this amazing state <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so, so basically so it's a thumbs up for Galaxy Quest yes. isn't yeah, it really like uh, really overall so there we go anything more to talk about with Galaxy Quest oh, oh yes yeah. real quickly oh. uh, some of the reactions from some Star Trek actors oh when they okay. first saw yeah, the film yeah. so Patrick Stewart said uh, I had originally not wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I heard that it was making fun of Star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes rang me up and said, You must not miss this movie. See it on a Saturday night in a full theatre. And I did. And of course I found it brilliant. Brilliant! Uh, no one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the, I- <laughs> but the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles uh, on which the ship worked was absolutely wonderful. It was both funny and also touching that it paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. Where Shatner <laughs> said, I thought it was very funny, and I thought the audience that they portrayed was totally real, but the actors they were pretending to be were totally unrecognisable. <laughs> well, I mean, to be, to be fair to him, according to Tim Allen, some of us are slow. I mean, yeah. No, He's like, the only right. one I recognised was the girl playing the show Nichols. And uh, Takei loved it as well. He said, I think it's a chillingly realistic documentary. <laughs> uh, the details in it, I recognise every one of them. It's a powerful piece of documentary filmmaking. Tim Allen had the Shatner S swagger down pat, and I roared when the shirt came off. And Sigourney Weaver <laughs> of rolls her eyes, and, and, and Sigourney Weaver rolls her eyes and says, "There goes the shirt again." <laughs> How often did we hear that on set? <laughs> <laughs> I love it whenever Takai starts roasting Shatner. <laughs> like it's the greatest thing. Bill, your acting is the only thing that makes me want to gag. If I can only get my partner to. Suck that hard, I'd never leave my chateau. Yes, so next, next, we're going to talk about USS Callister, which is the season four premiere of Black Mirror, uh, Charlie Brooker's future dystopia anthology series, um, which I assume we're all fans of in general. Uh, yes, I've seen bits of it. Yeah. Oh, have you not watched all of them? No, I've not watched all of them. I've watched every now and again. I watch oh, one. Okay. Well, I mean, it is anthology, so you can dip in, dip out. Yeah. Well, yeah so, as you can. But uh, but you've seen this one. I've seen Jack San Junipero and this one uh, of the. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. San Junipero is a very good episode. It's very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, you good. think I've watched these two, and I feel I should watch more. But yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that this is possibly for me. Possibly my favourite episode of Black Mirror. Like, yeah, it's up there for me. I think it's pretty special. There's another couple in Series 4 that are really up there. I haven't finished gonna, Series 4 it's yet. A very so. good series. Um, and yeah, San Junipero and Nose Dive from Season 3. And then, That's the one with Bryce Dallas Howard? Yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think there's... Like, Black Mirror as it stands would be a, a really tough show to rank because I do think all of them have incredibly strong merits. I don't think there's any duffers. I think there's ones I like more than others, but I think they're all incredible pieces of TV. Yeah, no, I mean, they're all, yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely ones that are better than others, but I think it's, uh, 
it's a pretty consistent uh, show. For those who haven't seen it, I mean, the idea is, in general, that it's meant to be set kind of one kind of moment from now in terms of the very near future. Sometimes they go away from that and do things which seem more far, far flung. Uh, but in general, it's meant to be reasonably relatable yeah. in terms of like everything. Yeah, it's kind taking of look at. technology just one or two steps further than yeah. where it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, everything, everything has like a real world tech kind of like. Yeah, things are created for a purpose, aren't they? That's it. They kind of yeah, fulfill a human need. It's usually kind of like it's what if technology goes wrong or is used for evil means by uh, fallible human minds, and this is exactly what this episode is about, which centres around Jesse Plemons, uh, who's a kind of real actor of the moment, and we need him now uh, to replace Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> playing. Well, he does look like Damon and Fitzy Hoffman had a kid. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I never thought about the Hoffman thing, but oh, you're man, you, but, right. But well, you're he totally played Hoffman's right. son in The Master, didn't he? Oh, yeah, so he did. Yeah, yeah. so he's got that. I mean, he was well cast for that, but then you got the Damon aspect. Like, this just is literally like a, you know, a transporter accident fused yeah. them together and yeah, yeah, created yeah. this Plemons character. <laughs> You're right. I mean, uh, you Plemons, know, it sounds like a combination word. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Plemons. I think he's an excellent uh, actor, and he plays Robert Daly here. Um, who is one of the heads of this kind of company that has a sort of online computer game, isn't it, where you could... Yeah, so they, they were essentially... Space time app. Like, yeah, they were essentially developed a, a more intricate version of uh, No Man's Sky. Have you yeah, that? yeah, it's like No Man's Sky combined with Space Team. Yeah, so No Man's Sky is kind of like an infinitely... I've got, I've got it. I've got it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. brilliant. It's kind of like an infinitely procedural generated universe where you, you can fly a ship and go from planet to planet, but... You're not locked into like pre-made levels or anything. It's like the further you go, it just keeps sort of randomly generating planets. So it's essentially an infinite universe you can fly around. So it takes that idea and puts it on like a big global multiplayer, I guess like VR kind of scale, hopping into it. Yeah, so he's created this this game with his partner, played by Jimmy Simpson, um, who we may know from It's Always Sunny Philadelphia, and recently Westworld. He's a big part of the new Westworld I series. I put down Creepy Guy from House of Cards. Is it? Yes. Yeah, he's in that as yes. well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I love this guy. I'm, he's so brilliant in this episode. I'm glad he's getting his moment now, and he's kind of getting more and more big parts because he plays so many different roles in this episode alone, from like the real world version of the CEO to the the guy kind of cowering under fear and playing up to Plemons as he as he gets kind of all powerful, and then heartbroken of his this stuff with his son later on he plays so many different levels in this and he's really really funny <laughs> well that's the thing as we start this is quite clever because at first we're essentially feeling sorry for mm. kind of Jesse Poem's character oh, and, that, yeah, and it's funny I tell you what when I first started watching this I thought I really wasn't going to like it and I was like, okay, Charlie, you, you, you fooled me. Because I was watching it and going, all oh, right, so it's going to be like, oh, boo-hoo, this kind of like geek and everything like that. He's, he's so hard done by and he can't interact with women and, oh, let's all cry for him and everything. Then he'll end up getting the girl. Like, And, of course, I should have known I was watching Black Mirror mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And it was going to take a real, like, turn, kind of thing. And in a, not in a way of... Oh, 
though he was justified taking revenge or anything, but in the sense of something else entirely. Well, that's the genius of this episode script is that, yeah, it does make you empathise with him so much up front and paint the others all as, like, kind of as office yeah. monsters. Like, yeah. that kind of office environment, like, gave me anxiety. It's so kind of on the ball of, like, just mm. shunning someone and feeling outcast. And the way it turns him into the monster and gets you on their side yeah. without pulling any big stunt just through the evolution of, like, what this guy is. But and cleverly, you got all his motivation. Yeah, right from the start. You can yeah. see. So basically, you, you don't need... You, you think you're one, watching one thing, but actually you're being fed all the information you need to kind of make, you know, fill in the backstory. So you just accept him as this evil guy later yeah. on. You're just like, I get it. It's so clever. That opening kind of episode of the show that he's doing you can see in their performances in that point like that they're still kind of playing up and scared of stuff when you know what's going on it's all mm-hmm. layered in there ever so slightly where it gets played up later on for like more more jokes but even then you're on a little on edge it's like oh this is almost a little too easy but yeah your brain goes like oh he's just this lovable nerd who's yeah. kind of programming to be this hero but really all the clues are right in front of you because did sorry did we did we explain what he's actually doing no. Right. no. Okay. So yeah. So basically, uh, what this uh, evil little freakazoid is doing is stealing <laughs> is stealing bits of DNA from his co-workers at work, isn't he? and then implanting them into copy. his kind of version of the game, like back home. And yeah, probably create a digital copy for them that all come upload them into the game as kind of avatars and then he's going into the game himself but he's got all the power so they can't do fuck all basically and he just have to obey him and he can hurt them and you know hinted at do worse to them as well like you know um and yeah he's basically kind of giving them a living hell of kind of torture every time he kind of goes home and forcing them to kind of play his weird kind of version of uh space fleet everything at home his favorite kind of tv show which is obviously modeled on star trek um and yeah i think what it's that thing of going yeah like you say it kind of shows what his motivation maybe is but actually what the show eventually shows is like well that motivation is like bullshit what he's doing is so horrendously disproportionate that it's kind of like well no this guy is just a scumbag going like you know no matter what he he would have invented reasons to kind of you know punish these people yeah once you realize it's this dark takedown of this like raging kind of toxic nerd culture you know it, it doesn't pull any punches it doesn't try and redeem him there's no. a very clear point where suddenly it's like right stop caring about him now because you can see him for who he is and it at no point tries to like get you back on his side which is no, great not at all, and it yeah. like it punishes him at the end so horrifically yeah like, we're all like yeah, yeah fuck you yeah, yeah it is it is a great death for him like um you know to just just basically die there it's like avoid. You know, well essentially he only he's only kind of in there well no because there's two people isn't there so his real body will just die in yeah, yeah. but it's that sad thing where because but, but he's a loner no but, one's coming to like check on but him yeah, but he probably will just die in his chair in his apartment yeah I was actually expecting there to be like a you know pretty much like a shining jump cut to like a you know rotting corpse <laughs> in that thing I, that's the one that I would have in there. Yeah, I like that, you know, people who might have been really protective of Trek wouldn't feel like this was going totally for the jugular because it was like promising that Star Trek was like a comic book co- property as well at times. So it was kind of going, no, this is really just an indictment of like fan culture, mm-hmm. you know, the darker side of like fandom. And it's taking its target at one character representing that. It's not saying yeah, we're all like yeah. that at all. Uh, and, you know, but I, there was like nice little nods to kind of like the 60s sexism that has kind of permeated down the ages since then, hasn't it? With like, you know, on the awakening mission. Only the men have guns. <laughs> so don't I get a gun? <laughs> yes. 
yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's a, I mean, lots he, of little bits. Yeah, he his character is basically the ultimate kind of like version of like that kind of toxic masculinity, isn't it? It's like like Mirror Universe Game of Gate, stuff like that. Yeah, Mirror Universe Kirk. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think Plemons is is brilliant in it because not only is the two versions that we see of him so so different in terms of actually when we see the opening and he's playing it like you know completely straight in terms of kind of you know a Kirk-esque captain and you know still just playing it as if it's just uh just a nice little fantasy um he is genuinely really kind of you know good as the square jawed kind of you know slightly dashing like hero Helmsman Packer, take us into that asteroid gas cluster. Into the cluster? That's suicide, sir. It is our only chance. And then you cut to him as the nerd version, really calm. And, you know, <laughs> and that's the thing. And he, he's really good at portraying both of those. I know that um, Jesse Plemons uh, had not really seen any Star Trek prior to doing this. Huh. And he watched, uh, I think, pretty much all of the original series in preparation. Well, I like haven't been going to do that yet. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and he really fell in love with the original series and was like, oh, this is really, really great. And um, But at the same time, tried to kind of invoke kind of Shatner and Kirk without going too far kind of thing. I think he balances it just right. Yeah, and then w- when he's being the scary, all-powerful god, he is damn scary. Yeah, like, he when, really is, yeah. Because the others sell it so well, being all like, oh, just, just put on, doing a piss him off. And then when he like does stuff like removes her face and things, or just casually changes someone into a monster, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, it's really, it's horrifying. And, and this the lady is, from marketing was good. <laughs> <a> good <joke. laughs> and this is where, obviously, Black Mirror itself is kind of a, um, a like a modern version of the Twilight Zone but this episode in particular kind of directly riffs the Twilight Zone episode It's a Good Life which is the one with the godlike little kid where everyone has to be happy or it'll turn you into things and that got Simpsons. remade into the uh, one in the Twilight Zone the movie yes did it yeah it was Joe Dante was? directed the, that segment yeah so yeah that kind of with is, is all over this E... With um, Lisa. Is Lisa? Yeah, Yodi Smith. Yeah, she's in that. Did she mention it in the recent I Was There Too? No. Okay. Well, I don't know, maybe she did. I'm listening to well, it. I think, I think she's done like two episodes now of I Was yeah. There Too. So, yeah, hopefully yeah, she gets really. around to it eventually. Um, very excellent fellow podcast, by the way. Uh, I Was There Too, hosted by Matt Gawley. Yeah, brilliant. Good. I love it. Yeah, it's very, very good. Go and check it out. It's at the London Podcast Festival. Really? Uh, where we'll be going to see James Bonding. Uh, the podcast that I would say probably inspired this podcast the most. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be fun. Can't wait for that. And, and just a complete sidebar, but I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kristin Malotti, who oh, plays yeah. Netcole, um she's in this. Amazing. I think she's brilliant in this episode. And again, has a real... Um, Challenge of playing a lot of different versions of that character. She's quite different when she first comes on to the kind of hero she ends up becoming. Essentially, the captain of the ship by the end. Yeah. Um, and her turning point book ended with, well, you know, marked with the great, great line Stealing my pussy is a red fucking line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which and is um, so good. This, oh, yeah, because there's this whole thing of, you know, he's basically kind of, he's clearly sexually interested in the women but at the same time like can't quite bring himself to kind of like go down that road mm-hmm. as they say it's kind of I mean it's really creepy but it's interesting that you're saying about 
you know, um, rubbing their mounds against each other. <laughs> you try, there's no feeling. Kind of going for the juggler and kind of, you know, making it seem like, you know, he's a kind of a, a one off and not a complete um, condemnation of geek culture. But I believe that you've been reading some reactions from fans about this episode. Uh, from fans? Well, this. Well, he is a fan of Star Trek. Yes, no, I saw this interview from back in January when the episode aired from uh, John Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, host of, I believe, the official Star Trek podcast, which is now defunct. Yeah, and he did a good little write-up. Not in a, uh, you know, a nerdist kind of way, right? No, 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 no. I, I <laughs> just naturally cancelled. Just naturally cancelled. Yeah, no, he did a good little write-up for The Guardian where he sort of talked about it. And he, he mentions Galaxy Quest a bit and the Orville, actually. Um, but he kind of is of the opinion of like thinking the episode was attacking all Star Trek fans a bit too much. So right. he says like the suggestion that inside every Trekkie looks a closet sadist is a little bit insulting, and the episode's twist pulls the rug out from sympathy for the dweeb becoming instead a showcase of very toxic online male behaviour, which is what we all love about it. And it seems like he didn't quite see it that way. Mm. But perhaps it's, perhaps it's actually by the end it's more indictment of like gaming community than, yeah. uh, than Star Trek. Yeah, actually, yeah, I would, like, I would say it's kind of got that. Like freight, you know the look of it, but I also think it threw in enough from Alien, you know, and other other sci-fi properties as well, because it wasn't. It was just watering down the Star Trek element as much as they could. Yeah, well, it's amazing. I thought it was one of the only things I've seen that manages to riff on not only the '60s Trek but new Trek as well. Yeah, mm. when the bridge looks all new and they're not in the old show version. Yeah, it's very much Abrams Trek. So like both sides. For me, it so happens that he's a fan of kind of a Star Trek style show. So he's modelled this on that, but it's more certainly comes across an indictment of something like yeah, Game of Game. This could have but, easily been done, like in a kind of um, Call of Duty like scenario, where mm. he just gets them and he kills them again and over yeah. and over again. They're, they're trapped in like a war hell kind of thing. That could be a completely different version of the same idea. So, yeah, you know, it's the game of takedown more than it is a sci-fi fan. And the thing is, yeah, it's yeah. much as, you know, Jordan is entitled to his views, everything like that, what I would say is, is... Yeah, well, there you go. Well, the Guardian certainly seems to think so. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, what I would say is school this bullshit about going, oh, wine, 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 like, you know, they're making it sound like we're all like this. Right, I don't think it is, number one. Number two, it's that thing where if you look at the horrific, toxic reaction to Star Trek Discovery, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, we discovered literally just last month when I read out a review by one of these absolute creepos who kind of, you know, hating on uh, Star Trek Discovery for being diverse and everything like that. Um, there is a lot of that toxic male culture within the fandoms of things like Star Trek and Star Wars as well as we've recently discovered with uh, the remake of Last Jedi raising 15 million dollars um, that's not real money this is just people saying yeah I'll give you money it's all bullshit. Right, okay. <laughs> well, whatever the case, a lot of people have clearly kind of, you know, dedicated themselves to that cause. Biggest scam. Um, scammer, and it's that thing of going, well, yeah, no, the main... I'm not saying that every Star Trek fan is like that. I would say that I'm becoming a Star Trek fan through doing this podcast. I enjoy as the show. As far as we know, Liam, you don't um, have a secret stash of our digital copies that you torture daily. Wow. Well, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, Liam, I would never describe you as a gamer, so I think we're a long way off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the yeah. thing is, is, you know, but there are clearly a contingent that are 
like that. So it's uh, a I, bit of I, like... I'm really hoping, it, and I do feel, uh, my heart hearts is a very small but vocal minority. Yes. And yes. this is not representative of like fandom as a whole. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Like, lovely people. Yeah, don't think so. I mean, all the, all the fans of Star Trek we've had who come on here have all been delightful uh, for that to tell us about uh, Star Trek. But there's, there's definitely, like you say, a small but vocal minority who are like that. It's not just one guy. And I think it's fair to criticise that and satirise it. Yeah, that's fine. I think I think it's brilliant how this episode makes you empathise with essentially like non-humans, the versions of them in the machine. They're not the real people; they yeah. are like digital copies. Yeah, and that's a trend that's happening in in sci-fi pop culture at the moment. So between between this uh, humans, the Channel Four show, Westworld, yeah. Ex Machina, we're pivoting to this narrative where the tech, the thing, is the thing that is humanised. They've got sentience, yes. therefore, and humans are the villains. We're in this age now where human beings are becoming the bad guys of these uh, futuristic storylines. And I don't know what that says about us as a whole, whether we just don't know how to like handle well, our tech. Maybe it's just we've like exhausted every, the computer's bad and it's going to kill us like story, now we have to move on to something yeah, else. So, so it's like, you know... Skynet is done. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, we're even feeling sorry for dinosaurs now in Jurassic well, exactly, Park Games. So, I mean, like, like yeah. Westworld... Or meant to, anyway. <laughs> like Westworld, the hosts, the robots, they're like the main characters rebelling against bad old us and all this stuff. It's all... It's, a, it's an interesting shift. So I think that this episode is pretty much like a masterpiece of television. I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a movie in a sense. Yes, it's 76 minutes, it's feature length, and it, it does feel like its own thing. I mean, it, it does get its own letterbox listing, but it didn't, didn't do it because it's this grey area. It's not, not yeah, a film. Not, not not okay, okay we all agree on that. That yeah. does not count. No. <laughs> like, uh, but it is, you know, and some critics complained about the extended runtime. But for me, I thought it was perfectly fitting. I didn't feel like there was a no, wasted no, moment. It wasn't at all. Um, I felt it was great that it was. It felt like feature. It was long it needed to be to tell yeah. the story. Yeah, because by you know heading to the finale, like the stakes are so immensely high and they're so ingrained. You know, when they're trying to reach that upgrade wormhole thing, and you know what will happen if he gets to them instead and you know yeah. what's on the line it's so intense it is like yeah, a movie it's worth like, the, the risk wasn't it it was worth the risk of like being yeah and because we're watching Black Mirror by the way I 100% believed the whole way through that there was no way they were getting out of this that yeah. they were, that he was going to catch an oil because Black Mirror I think I did because I didn't um, watch much Black Mirror well this is the thing for so. anyone who has watched a lot of Black Mirror you'll know that there is I mean funny enough you've watched like the two yeah, episodes the with a happy ending like literally every I other think there's, one I, there's maybe one. there may be others that have happy endings uh, well, we just yeah. don't know I would uh, say, they might know but like just don't don't <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway it's not it's not one that where you know happy ends are regular thing and I so I really did think that he was going <laughs> to find them all kill them all and it was going to be awful and <laughs> I was so glad when it didn't they escape like, not since the end of True Detective season one have I been <laughs> so caught up in something thinking <laughs> I, I believe this show is so dark that I believe all the characters I love are going to die and I'm <laughs> so happy when they did them because you know that that was going to be anthology this is the curse there's no there's no season 2 for these yeah years, so exactly like, exactly I mean well, the real curse was that there was a season 2 as true but it wasn't our reconnaissance's Mac fault yeah. yes it, it was or Woody's so. oh, it, hopefully they can or Clive Barrels it's Vince Vaughn's fault <laughs> <laughs> I would say is who's the bloke who was the showrunner? I can't remember his name. Nicholas Pelleggi? No. No, that's, 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 that's 
Mitch Pelegio. Mitch Is Nick something? Nick Pazzaglio? Something like that. Something pretentious. And Or Italian. Yeah, it is his fault. So, you are blamed. Like, bring it. That's why they bring Robert Town in for like season three. Robert Town's doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's coming in to like co write or something. Oh, and isn't Jeremy Solomon, Blue Room? Uh, Blue Room, Green Room, directing. Oh, is he? I don't know if he's doing all is of it. He's Blue doing Room. Blue Room. Green, Green Room. Yeah. Maybe he can bring he's... Patrick Stewart with him, and then we get an opportunity to talk about it on this podcast. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he's directing all of it. He's directing the first four, perhaps. Oh, uh, um, okay. That's, that's that We could be. Could well, be. Interest reignited. Uh, Dead town on the game. Yes. No, definitely. Mission Possible 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I completely forgot. One and two, he wasn't wrote it? the script of Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Like, until the other day, I was listening to uh, another favourite podcast of mine, Diminishing Returns. Excellent um, podcast with two Scottish fellas talking about sequels, prequels, and reboots. And they did an episode on Mission Impossible 2 and talked about the fact that Robert Town wrote the script. And I was like, Robert Town wrote the script of Mission Impossible 2? And, and Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. What did they co-write? Yeah, they co-wrote. So the three of them all had a hand in MI two. So, like, so that's two like major Star Trek people going. Mm-hmm. Thing. Like again, legitimate. <laughs> right. Moving on to the third thing we're going to talk about uh, today, the Orville. Well, Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. Like, yeah, it's Seth. Is it actually official? No, no, I was going to say like, oh, very much, like this is a, the biggest vanity project like well I've got a quote yeah. from Seth here that says I've wanted to do something like this show ever since I was a kid yeah and that comes across um, so this is basically his version of Star Trek now it's interesting that you know this episode was meant to be about spoofs of Star Trek and obviously you see someone like Seth MacFarlane doing a show of this nature you see the first publicity still which was of the bridge and it kind of had uh, Seth like he's the captain Captain Mercer and he's kind of looking down kind of like mm, yeah, it's very much a sitcom, like, sitcom yeah, promo sitcom cast, promo cut and you think okay Seth MacFarlane's doing this he's famous for Family Guy Ted this is going to be we saw moves start yep yeah, <laughs> unfortunately uh, this is going to be his Star Trek spoof and is that what we thought? I think it's, it? it's too much of a love letter to be a spoof yeah. almost, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's the rug pull. We all expected his Star Trek spoof, and it is just his Star Trek. Yeah, like I mean, everything you know in Star Trek has uh, an equivalent in this show, from like the Federation to Klingons. They've all got their own version, so it is very much like how can I push this and get away with it? Yeah, I mean them? there are moments of. Of Seth MacFarlane esque humour, certainly, in the pilot uh, episode, which I watched. Like, you know, there's moments where you go, oh, yeah, it's a very Seth MacFarlane style gag or something like that. But, I mean, they're quite few and far between. It's a almost lot- like an 85 15 split between the 85 being just a Trek show yeah. and then a very small percentage being his comedy, which isn't even I his really comedy expecting- quote marks. You know, yeah, I was really expecting it to be a lot more of a 50 like, 50. Ra- uh, yeah, and to be raunchier and. Yeah. You know. yeah, way raunchier, way more. I mean, the thing is, Seth MacFarlane. I've got a difficult relationship with Seth MacFarlane. Um, what did he do to you? <laughs> well, uh, no, obviously he's most famous for Family Guy, uh, which came along in the yeah, late 90s. And when Family Guy came along, 
Um, I remember at first everyone was just like, oh, it's just the this rip off The Simpsons, like whatever. And then suddenly it became a cult smash when it was cancelled twice. And suddenly in between the cancellations and it getting revived, it was one of the big hits of the DVD era mm. where everyone got into it in DVD and was like... Every student oh, dorm across the world. Yeah, completely. I remember I was in uni at the time and suddenly I was watching it and thinking, oh, this is, I love this. This is really funny. And, you know, it seemed like a new thing, a kind of, you know, an edgier kind of Simpsons, which had already kind of sort of had its day by that mm-hmm. point. And, yeah, you know, right, just as Simpsons kind of, you know, started... Yeah, you know, going off the its, boil. Off the boil, yeah. And it was really, really good fun. And, you know, it, it, those first three seasons, I still think, although you go back and watch them now, and there's, you know, the occasional Gabby, uh, that doesn't quite work now. Uh, yeah, they're still, they're still good fun. Like I was saying, I watched uh, the Thin White Line uh, last night, which is the episode where Brian, the talking dog, uh, gets addicted to cocaine. <laughs> And it's very funny. It's very, very good. But I kind of feel that when McFarlane uh, actually came back and suddenly it went from, you know, he was this little underdog to, oh, shit, you've become a massive overnight success. Um, Let's give you Family Guy season four. And from that point on, he just seems to have had all the power in the world in terms of like Family Guy, then American Dad, The Cleveland Show. Um, he also kind of. No, uh, I just get to on the record like Ted, the first one was fucking. Oh, you great. really yeah. like Ted, don't you? Yeah, Me I too. think it's like airplane level. Like, wow, really? Yeah, I think it's it's like Naked Gun. See, like, airplane. Like, it's it Ted. I'm not seeing the second one, no, but like no. it just it made me laugh the whole way through. I thought it was terrific. And I See it again. I'm not I, I like it I think it's fine but I'm not like uh, and that's really like you know it's completely contrary to where I thought I was going to be with it on that but yeah. it's just really good yeah no I'm with you on that I, I really like Ted and and, then, and then I haven't seen the second one or Million Ways to Die in the West it seems like a lot of his oh, I have action. and that's why it was just like I didn't watch Ted 2 because <laughs> I'd seen A Million Ways to Die in the West and it was Ooh, the highs terrible and lows, eh? I Jeez. think it was the trouble of his you know when he's in person I think is yeah that was my thought going into this I was thinking him live action acting it's always a bit uh. so my first question I wrote down was is Seth playing it straight because he is he's not yeah. like gurning away and being trying to be his funny persona there he's just he's just suddenly an actor it, it, that looks like him looks and sounds like him like I say I mean art for me the moments where they actually attempt the McFarlane brand of humour like during this episode are the bits that fall flat in terms of where and don't get me wrong because I think there are bits of comedy in this that actually work very well but I actually think a lot of the comedy in this is far gentler far kind of like you know kind of different to, and then occasionally there's a random bit of McFarlane Family Guy style humour fly in and you're like what what's this like yeah, yeah. it feels like completely yeah. different yeah when he's like oh, I'm not asking for drugs is there drugs is there drugs yeah 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 <laughs> it's kind of like you know he's, he's a bit weird a bit jarring when those yeah. bits happen I, I think one of my, my favourite scenes is that Helmsman like who obviously is his old mate like ends yes. up seeing his ex-wife like in the corridor and like he's just been so polite to her but it's like really cringy where he's like I just need to take a piss and she's just like we're over we're all right, aren't we? But he's like just doing that whole kind of comedy. I know, yeah. And uh, I just thought that kind of humor was really funny. I, yeah, I, I, think, I think. Well, he's already more of a bad boy than Paris. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think. But interpersonal like moments 
that would happen on a starship that Star Trek doesn't isn't interesting. doesn't show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they're, where they and you don't, yeah, you don't have to push it because it is just funny at like that, just playing it out straight. Yeah, I mean, I think this show is a real lightness of touch. I mean, I, I, I'll say straight away, I enjoyed it. Yeah. In terms of like, I, I went into this thinking I wasn't going to enjoy it, and kind of, you know, not. I suppose a bit, almost a bit set against it in terms of I was kind of a bit like oh McFarlane I've kind of really gone off him I mean funny that you mentioned obviously the whole kind of McFarlane presenting the Oscars and oh, the dreadful like I saw your boobs like moment kind of being mm-hmm. so kind of oh and leaves a sour taste in the mouth like after things like Me Too and stuff like that and I just kind of think his his kind of humour um has kind of died a bit of a death and should do and so I was kind of I don't think I'm going to enjoy this especially as I knew that this had been really kind of welcomed with open arms by the kind of group of people who hated Discovery for being kind of more diverse and stuff like that and been like oh this is our Star Trek and I was kind of like "Mm, okay I'm not sure I'm going to like this and yeah I I was won over because I didn't think it was it was none of the things that I thought it would be and the premise here is that Seth MacFarlane becomes a pilot of a starship and his first mate that comes on board he's after they've left... Yeah, he, well, he's captain, but his first mate who comes on after they've left is his ex-wife. Yes. Who yeah, yeah. they divorced earlier. So a lot of the, the driving concept of the show is essentially this kind of like relationship comedy breakdown whilst stuck in a workplace, kind of. Mm. But then having episodic Star Trek adventures around that because you've got everyone else from the crew so you've got security chief pilots helmsmen yeah. science guys I really I, I mean Bortus is great like already I mean I found like really like like getting to like like the characters this sort of yeah not, maybe not maybe not like McFarlane and maybe not the sort of wife character Adrian Pilate yeah but everybody below them I actually kind of like mm. I get this I really want to see more from these people yeah. already and Boris particularly who's like channeling like Dave Batusta, I think quite a bit. well I thought he was kind of he, he felt like yeah mixed between that and Worf I guess I mean I guess he's playing the sort of Worf-esque yeah, character but I know what you mean in terms of in the humour wise there's definitely a bit of Drax from Guardians yeah yeah, isn't yeah. It? Just yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Very, take it as it's you know at face value isn't it Buckland's urinate only once per year Really? That's... I mean, I'm, I'm up two or three times a night. <laughs> that is unfortunate. I was saying, he has some great moments, because you guys just watched the pilot, right? I, yeah, we I, just watched the pilot. Yeah. I also watched episode four, directed by our old friend James L. Conway. James L. Conway, who, who we does... interviewed uh, in one of our supplemental episodes. Yeah, he does, a, on he does a great job. And that character, he he kind of becomes captain on like an away mission during the film. Well, the, the main characters are on the away mission. He kind of takes charge of the ship elsewhere yeah. with the two helmsmen they have some great little moments but the the story of the, F- the episode episode four is they find this giant ship kind of drifting in space it's all like shut off and it's just heading towards the sun essentially and they get in it and inside it's like like a landscape like a world because the ship's so big there's like mm. an artificial world inside and all the people in it don't realize they're in a ship yeah and some people there's like a faction of a religion that tries to suppress the knowledge that they're in a ship or whether they believe it. And it's very kind of almost uh, another side of this side of paradise kind of style of like them coming in and finding a populace, a bit like insurrection as well. Yeah. And it's this really interesting story there. And it's got Teabag from Prison Break oh. as uh, the religious head. 
and he definitely won't be making a return appearance. No. <laughs> and then and then a cameo at the end from Liam Neeson. Oh uh, shit! Yeah. Okay. On, on, the, on the screen, isn't he? And he was in the yeah, uh, yeah the yeah. hundred million. That would be that one, which we were not mentioning. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's another great episode. Size. Like it's interesting doing the pilot and then a random episode number four to see how they're tackling the episodic stuff. There'd been a bit of progression with the character relationships, I think, and there's a lot more done with the security chief, who's who's great. That yeah. the uh, alien girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was <laughs> I mean, I was, yeah, like I say, I, I think there were so many presumptions I made about. It. I knew because I'd seen the trailer. I knew the basic setup was: oh, this uh, his wife had cheated on him, and they'd broken up, and then she'd come back to be his first mate. And what I assumed was right. So we're going to get half hour every week of such shaming, like from McFarlane, like loads of kind of those kind of gags. That's what I assumed, and I've got to say. In general, they didn't do that at all. And I actually think the way they handled the situation between them was really well done. I don't feel that they do kind of blame her, like, for her actions. It's all very kind of respectful. And just even just the arc from the first episode is really well, well yeah, done. Yeah, well, it's almost like it's almost pretty much solid, isn't it? Like, yeah, like, completely. Yeah, what, they seem four, pretty cool. In four? What, They're like, kind of, like, aimably working together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I like is straight away, um, because at first you're kind of a bit like, oh, like these guys have got no, you know, you wouldn't put them two together, kind of thing. Like, you know, but actually there's a scene where they first go down to the planet and they're in the science lab and there's a moment where they're bouncing back and forth with each other and it's just a really lovely moment of, oh yeah, they've got real chemistry in terms of like, you can see why, Mm. where they just forget about kind of, you know, the fact that they've got this other thing going on in their relationship right now and they just kind of naturally go back and forth. It's that thing of two people good at their job being able to bounce back and forth in the job yeah well just also in kind of like kind of making gags with each other about yeah. the banana kind of like thing and it's and it's it's really nice I mean I'm a big fan of Adrian Palaki obviously because of her role as Tyra in Friday Night Lights the TV series uh, so it's nice to see her get uh, especially a big after role. the Wonder Woman pilot of hers yeah, that, that was never saw the light of day never saw the light of day at all yeah so it, I mean, but that's the thing they're talking about professionals like you know they just there's lots of jokes where they just like are you know doing their jobs but I think I've read a review of the season one as a whole like there was lots of jokes made about Spence that they aren't very good at what they're doing <laughs> they're a bit crap but like um, I think they did like a report like where they sort of like damage report and there's like you know 23 injured one person spilled like some tea on themselves <laughs> and he's like we just gotta get some bad people <laughs> <laughs> and that's an interesting way to take it as well because yeah. every crew no matter what you say about all the Star Trek shows they're always great at their jobs yeah we've yeah. gone back and forth yeah. about the levels of conflict going on but yeah. there's no doubt that they're all great at what they're doing but I, what I liked about it is I didn't actually think it was like it wasn't completely the Red Dwarf way of they're all no. bunch of like idiots they're, they're perfectly or, or a sitcom at all yeah they're perfectly fine they're all okay they're just not they're just not perfect in terms of like you know like the TNG crew or something like that they're not infallible yeah. they're just human they're actually trying their best mm. and even like Seth MacFarlane you, you very much expect it to be oh um, Agent Palaki's uh, character Kelly Grayson is going to be the kind of you know stick in the mud kind of holding him back and everything like that and he's going to be like the idiot kind of like you know, the Tim Allen sitcom like husband kind of thing <laughs> and that's actually not the case at all he's not He's not amazing, I think, but he he is trying hard, like his best to kind of lead that ship. And even you know they they win out essentially by helping mm. each other out. And I can see how 
ep- episodes are going to tackle the kind of issues that Star Trek does because episode four it's kind of an interesting story about you know the the cost of what a blind faith in something can have to you and um you know, it kind of ends with this kind of, there's like a twist. It's almost like Wally, where the people living on this ship have gotten so used to it, they don't realize they're in a ship at all, you know. Mm. Um, and it's a nice look, because there's a nice moment where they open the ship up, kind of like a, like a sunroof at the end, and it reveals space to convince yeah. everyone they're on a ship. And so it's like night sky for the first time, because they're yeah. all saying, like, what's night? We don't know what night is. So there's really interesting little ideas that you would see in Trek. Mm. So. And there's there's so much there, isn't there? That is just. I mean, I would say this is far more homage to Trek than spoof. Um, yeah. That the score. Oh yeah, it's so, very much like next gen, isn't it? Yeah, so much. I mean, even like, did you notice like the the, the obvious transitions? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. advert kind of buffers. Yeah, I like, really noticed that. I mean, but it was it was well done actually. Yeah, it really I thought approximated so. like the eighties like next gen sort of style. Yeah. Oh, the opening titles as well, which aren't in the pilot, right. are just exactly like. A Star Trek one. Really? It's like the ship just kind of casually floating by, the names come up saying as who they are. Right. Like it's exactly like And that. I mean, and also, of course, they even did a dry dock kind of like well, sequence, yeah, didn't they? It, Which was very well, reminiscent. The, well, and the slowest thing in the show was like the shot of them leaving. And I was like, you gave that an extra few seconds just to kind of give yourself more of a moment, like with the ship went out. Because like, <laughs> that's so Star Trek to sort of take your time over that. Completely. And I thought the special effects were all quite nice, quite a production design, oh, yeah, quite like the, nice. The, the battle where he's spinning around the ship. I was like, this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks bright and very 90s TV. Like, yes. It no, yeah, like, like, it's not. That's what Conway was. No, it's like it's TV lighting, isn't it? Yeah, it's. It's, yeah, I, I think it's really fun. I mean, straight away, I think the opening kind of scene kind of tells you that you're not going to get what you expect because the opening scene is very downbeat. Yeah, I didn't like that opening scene. Oh, did you not? No, I didn't. I didn't. I thought it's like, there's, there's a million ways to do this better. Like, oh, okay. It's just like very kind of rogue. Um, I liked it just because I thought oh this is surprising downbeat but also I did like the gag with the flute guy coming out of his face <laughs> like, uh, which I mean that was a very separate fire combo but it is funny <laughs> like, like, I did did enjoy it um, but yeah like you say all the characters are fun like Bortus by Peter Macon is really funny uh, the security uh, woman is great as well I think the um, the robot character probably seems a bit kind of I think tired. We need more time with that. Like, yeah, you know, more, like, more time. Yeah, it wasn't quite like, you know, He's we, almost like the Brian the dog or the Roger the alien of this. Yes, there's something, yes, there's something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that thing when he just go on oh, your speech like notoriously like racist or sound was like, right, is this going to work? You know, what's going on here? Kind of thing. Like, um, just seemed a bit just seemed a bit of a bizarre idea almost going in terms of like I mean I guess it's their right their version of having like a Klingon on the bridge in TNG I mean he pretty much just acts like help a robot in the fourth episode it's not like he's going off the rails or anything yeah it seems odd because you expect like if you set that it just seemed to be a weird gag to have if you set that up you expect him to be there's some kind of conflicts involved Mm. in him Um, but yeah I mean who's to say I I mean I, I personally I genuinely enjoyed like what I saw. You know, it's not flawless at all. Like you know, there's there's kind of little bits and pieces. I'm like, ah, oh, that didn't quite work. But I'd definitely be up for watching more. Yeah, I probably will watch a bit more. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some... Which I didn't. I didn't expect to say that. No, <laughs> I, I, I did not expect to say that. At uh, all. A few quotes from Seth MacFarlane here from an interview he did with the New Yorker. He says, uh, The Orville tries to recapture a kind of science fiction that celebrates human advancement and achievement and intellectual evolution rather than going for the cheap thrills of the zombie hunt. 
So he says the inclusion of humour in the Orville is a bit of an experiment, and then asked about why, you know, we're so obsessed with grim, dark tones in sci-fi, everything from Battlestar to District 9. He says, uh, dystopia is good for drama because you're starting with a conflict. Your villain is the world itself. Uh, writers on Next Gen, you know, as we found out, uh, found it very difficult to work within the confines of a world where everything was going right. Uh, they like to see people who got along and who lived in a world that was a blueprint for what we might achieve rather than a warning of what might happen to us. So he just wants to be a bit more of a beacon of light. You know, he, mm. said, he says, I'm, I'm tired of seeing filthy pe filthy people running around with guns fighting for their own survival rather than fighting for causes, values, and the advancement of the human race. There's nothing like that out there. So he's fighting for optimism in sci-fi. Which is, I think... Which I would expect fair. coming from him, you know? No, no, no. I, I, I think it is fair as well in the sense of... Because for me, actually, um, having now watched the show, um, I think that... Because actually, you know, in terms of... Uh, if we talk about things like diversity, actually you've got um, uh, Penny Johnson um, in there as the uh, doctor, mm -hmm. uh, who's of course was Sherry Palmer in 24. Uh, yeah. You've got Jay Lee as uh, John Lamar, the other lieutenant um, in there. Like, you know, so it's not like, you know, the, it, it's not like there isn't diversity in the show. Like, you know, there's a lot of female characters and everything like that. Um, so it is clearly there. So that's not an issue. Yeah, you do, of course, you do have a straight white male is the lead but actually he's very much sharing the screen um, with uh, Adrian Palaki um, you know in a kind of almost to the extent of in the first episode it almost puts across as if she should be the captain really and she's kind of given this to him as almost like an olive branch of you know I know I hurt you so yeah. like you know um, of course this could end up a bit of a Riker situation where she should really be captaining a ship and she's holding back her career <laughs> just so she can um, kind of support him but you know it's it, there's certainly some really nice moments from her at the end he actually turns around and says basically you were always better than me like at this and kind of really praises her with respect um, and that's really nice and but it's interesting in terms of the critics the Rotten Tomatoes critics rating for this is 23% huh. which is pretty low um, the audience rating is 93% so I mean that's a pretty massive kind of difference between so I remember hearing the bad reviews critics. when it started mm. but I, I generally can't see how critics could shit on it that much well I think it probably is people people like me who had like a bee in their bonnet about McFarlane but yeah weren't kicking. willing to give it but, its fair go yeah, right? yeah. exactly and just like determined to not like something and I think you know we I think we did good it's good we came to as an objective because if I just watched it for fun I might not have like yeah, really yeah, given yeah. it it's like actually no I could see actually there's not a lot of merit in this yeah and, completely uh, so yeah I'm glad that I kind of saw the first one like that that's opened up my eyes to sort of see perhaps there is some stuff to get, to enjoy later on yeah, yeah uh, especially as it seems like they've because they've got a season two and, and three maybe I think. Uh, yeah possibly and they definitely got more confidence because it, it would appear that from what McFarlane's it, commented is that basically season two I think they're pretty much dropping the jokes even more. Well, I think they need to work out what the tone is because it, it does yeah. totally shift quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what it just settles down into. 
mm. like has that whole Star Trek first season issues. Like, yeah, apart yeah, from the original well, they, series, it, it, like, everyone since has always like been a bit of a rocky start. Sometimes there'll be a few years now people go, "Oh, the Orville best between series four and seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be really interesting. But I, I, I feeling that they're trying to settle the tone for the second season and actually take it, make it less jokey and kind of do more just. Yeah, this is just well, first, first seasons Trek. must always be so hard because you don't know how it's landing. So no, now, now no. that they know what people are responding to and what's working, and quite a big risk for someone yeah. like McFarlane in a lot of ways. Like you know, this is certainly kind of yeah, he's kind of pet project, isn't it? And you know, it's I think it's actually it come out quite well. No expense. It's like, no expense. Uh, you know, this is all my money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I said, I'm definitely up for watching more and uh, enjoy it. So Seth. Redeemed, possibly. Redeemed. Like, yeah. Please so, come on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll try not to grill you too hard about your Oscar performance. Anyway, <laughs> um, so. So, are we going to speed round this thing for the end? I guess we are a bit yeah. of a, a little round table. What would people like to. About our yeah, Star this is honourable mentions. Honourable mentions. So you know, I last night just like went down a YouTube like hole of like just seeing like various things, and so so much stuff was like there I didn't have no idea they were doing. But like back in the seventies, Saturday Night Live, kind of around the rock, basically when Star Trek had been, you know, defunct almost ten years. Like you know that they and this movie hadn't been out. There was like still it was enough of a pop culture thing that you know John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, Chevy Chase like all appeared in like a skit. Like an eleven-minute skit, like which is memorable in fact that like John Belushi's playing the Kirk character, but it's more remarkable that he's actually able to kind of coherently deliver like <laughs> eleven-minute scene live without miss smucking it up. Because there's it, the way it's talked about like in the comments is like he's basically like getting a good performance out of Amy Winehouse near the end. Oh my god! You know, so it's just like how he able to hold it together. And he, there's so many like things that are really Star Trek about it in terms of like they mentioned like these bats of Golong 7 there was bats on Golong 7 in the original show and he even says like Kirk's like entire staff number at the end without it just exactly how it is so I think there's like a little love to it but, yeah, yeah. but he's not it's, it doesn't it's not that funny I don't think really at all to drag even at 11 minutes yeah and yeah. Um, you know it's it basically the whole thing is that like, they're on the bridge and the whole thing is like they're getting cancelled and um Oh god, what's the guy uh, from uh, Long Goodbye? Elliot Gould is like a network executive comes on the on the bridge just says look we're cancelling you and like Belushi will not take it. Well that's how it is, huh? Just me, huh? Well I've been in tougher spots before. No way, no way am I gonna give up. I'd rather go down with the ship! Oh Shatner, look you had a call from a margarine company. They said they'd call you. <laughs> Ackroyd as like Bone storms off like and uh, um, Chevy Chase plays the spot character very well and uh, he's the second to go but they're actually tearing down the set and he's like still delivering his captain's log but that was one of one of three kind of impressions like I, I watched and um, the, I think the, the middle of the three was Jim Carrey um, oh, okay. did, a, did a quite one he did kind of do a little bit of it in um Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, but this is like a, a proper on the set, mm. and it's basically where like uh, black militants come on the set, like, and uh, he's just uh, and they kind of like indoctrinate, you know, kind of like trying to turn all the crew mm. to say like he's an oppressor, like, and he's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, why are you trying to get me? What's going on? And he just like he's like he's overacting it to the end, but it's quite amusing. And the final one, which is my favourite, because I love Kevin Pollock. Uh, it's Kevin Pollock. <laughs> 
and he basically does like a, he's basically doing a stand-up routine where he's he's he says oh Star Trek Five is coming out soon. I'm really excited about this. Like you know the whole crew back for like one more place. But what imagine like they they're finding it really difficult to like sign up the other crew because you know they've got so much other work on. Uh, but like just imagine they recast it. So he does like here uh, Chatner's playing Kirk, but he does. Um, uh, Robin Williams is um, one of these is going to be Christopher Walken no oh no not Christopher oh, Walken wow, okay. Robin Williams he does Christopher Lloyd uh, as Spock Spock analysis please okie doke let me get a closer look and he does Jack Nicholson as Scotty, <laughs> and the final one, which I didn't, I didn't get. I had to look it up. Was Dudley Moore, which I think kind of dates it a little bit. Right, right. right. But yeah, he's brilliant. Like so, uh, Kevin Pollock. If you haven't seen his Christopher Walken impression, there's just like hours of entertainment <laughs> awaiting you on YouTube. Oh so, my god. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, that's that's, that's my quite one. yeah, that's quite a good little list, Matt. What did you find? Well, I've gone back to the well of Futurama, of course, which was always one of my favourite shows. Um, you know, I love Simpsons from the start, from when I from first remember seeing it. But Futurama yeah. was one I was able to come on from day one at the right age. I was about thirteen or so when it started. I remember very vividly as a show seeing the first trailers for it because it was premiered on Sky One in the UK mm. so that was a show I was able to be with from the start to the end you know quote marks the end of the first run which was 2004 I think so yeah, this was still so fucking going isn't it nah, it's some kind of like worst podcast oh or whatever like so there's an episode from the fourth season called Where No Fan Has Gone Before and it's a story where Star Trek in the 31st century has been banned uh, because all the all the fans kind of rose up and started more and more bigger religions and it all got out of hand. So that Star Trek, the word's banned. So uh, Fry goes to uh, Leonard Nimoy's head, which is in the head museum. Well, doesn't he says, want to like watch some Star Trek and nobody has it? Yeah, he's trying to find the tapes. So he finds out from Nimoy that all the tapes are the old episodes, uh, which according to Fry, 76 episodes, about 30 good ones, uh, <laughs> have all been like blasted I think he said away. 13 good ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go to this place planet where they find out all the other that's unfair <laughs> all the other old original Trek members have been like resurrected in their old bodies because this giant super fan who's just this gaseous cloud has like resurrected them for his own Black Mirror-esque kind of reasons and it's just really really good and there's a really great story behind it where the writer there was an initial idea for a Trek-centric episode which was to have a giant Kirk and Spock fighting over a New York, New York hotel and casino in Vegas which is a bit strange and that kind of got scrapped and this writer uh, David A. Goodman I was about to say who is this writer yeah he was given two weeks to write a new script which he did and he was kind of selected because he was the big Trek guy of the Futurama crew mm, mm, mm. Um, and uh, all the living members of the original Trek cast agreed to appear except for James Doohan whose agent said no way <laughs> so the episode was nearly called we oh got yeah everybody no would have done wasn't it in the commentary yeah. <laughs> this is to do with he said no because of Shatner's involvement apparently oh right like, probably, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the episode's working title was named We Got Everybody But Scotty and they made up a new character called Welshy to take his place. Uh, Bone, Bones is in the episode but of course DeForest Kelly had died at the time so he has no lines. Um, but it's just a really great, really, really, really funny uh, takedown where they, they kind of get into like trivia contests with each other like Fry versus Kirk mm -hmm. uh, and then they all have their big fight at the end and like... <laughs> 
I think there's a bit where Shatner's just like ripping his own shirt before the fight. Mm. And it's another great... There's no great... right way to hit him. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> yeah, then do it the wrong way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's another great hate down toxic fandom. It's, it, I haven't seen it for years, that episode, but I know it's there's, hilarious. There's a Melvar. There's a, like... Melvar. There's a joke Who's that the I... voice of Melvar? Are you talking about Maurice? Maurice. Maybe Maurice Lamarche. Yeah, he 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 was on Futurama all the time. So quite possibly. I think it probably is because he did Morbone and it sounds very Morboish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, I think he might even be the one I've heard that story about James Doohan. Yes. Oh, probably, that's yeah. right yeah but it'd be like Maurice LaMarche I was there too where he recounts his career as an amazing voice actor he's a great awesome Wells impressionist yeah uh, the best the best uh, well brain on Pinky and, and the brain, brain yeah, yeah. Most there's, a, there's a great gag that I obviously didn't get when I first saw this when it aired which I get now thanks to this uh, podcast where but when when Fry, <laughs> when Fry takes Nimoy's head in a jar from the museum Freaks his head pops on instead from the back row and he's like ah finally front row <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh amazing oh Riker uh, yeah so that's that is a fantastic um, episode and, and happy ending for all the, the writer David Goodman he went on to write for Enterprise hey so amazing he well, we'll some actual trick. talking about some of his episodes at some point I'm sure um, I do like that there's the story behind the making of that it's a really good commentary track where they talk about like, what yeah. it's like working with the original crew basically when you like go home and you regress to your childlike state. They kind of regress to like how they were on the original show, and that they were fighting for lines, <laughs> determined to like not, you know, really. It was a big power play, so they were kind of keen to give them all their moment. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? But like Chekhov gets a speech about his car keys, yeah. like, you know, and stuff like that. I'm a real, I'm a fully real-rounded person now. My own car and car keys and the flat and friends. <laughs> I, I yeah, sh- after Star Trek, he became an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention in passing, uh, being that we were talking about Seth MacFarlane and. And another animated uh, sitcom Family Guy of course had their episode where they had the entire TNG crew um, voice cast come on the episode uh, and uh, kind of I think Stewie beams them in in some way kind of thing the actors they end up hanging out with them for the episode it's quite amusing um, also should mention the Frasier spoof <laughs> <laughs> of uh, so live on stage uh, this was the 30th anniversary of Trek or something I think it was the Emmy Awards wasn't it uh, maybe I'm I, think not, the, I think it was an award show uh, I'm not sure but it's basically everyone from the regular main cast of Frasier sans the Kells Mm. Um, with Janeway uh, standing in Kate Mulgrew um, as Captain Janeway standing in for Kelsey, I guess, uh, as the captain of this starship, where it's just the um, Frasier cast. So you've got Roz, Niles, Daphne, Martin, uh, all part in the ship, and it's about like a four or five minute kind of sketch with them just basically acting like the Frasier characters um, on so stage, bizarre. but piloting, you know, a starship. Uh, it's it's pretty cringy. Yeah. A sketch uh, in search of a point. You know, I, I'm, I'm a massive, I'm a massive Frasier fan. At the end of the day. Um, but surely you would have thought the one bit of connective tissue is that Kelsey Grammer was in Star Trek Next and Generation. And he's a Star Trek fan, yeah. Oh, is he a big Star yeah, Trek fan he, as well? that's why he was in Next Generation. Like, he did that bit. Right, so okay, here. I didn't realise And, you know, that. there's the Star Trek reference in Frasier where he, he reads Klingon at the... Um, 
kids bar mitzvah. Yeah, I, know, I mean, I know there's a couple of Star Trek bits and pieces in Frasier because one of the uh, one of the guys who works at the radio station with him is a big Star Trek nerd. Yeah, but um, but like I think I think if I recall, Kelsey was like the kind of advisor for that kind of character's jokes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so it's odd. Maybe, that maybe I'm making that up. But like, so it's odd that he's the only one who doesn't turn up. <laughs> Fucking hell. But I think the smartest one in the room. <laughs> there's um, there's a bit where Niles actually uh, says one of the classic kind of slut-shaming gags towards Ross at one point where he says about some her date boldly going where so many men have gone before. <laughs> Just, and at the end, things get so bad that Janeway actually sets the ship to self-destruct yeah. to commit suicide, as I'm sure the whole audience wanted to <laughs> by the time this ended. Um, I also watched a sketch from the Ben Stiller show. Mm. Uh, his sketch show that before he was famous. I basically. only remember his amazing Die Hard. Yeah, Skip. yeah, that's very funny. funny. This isn't as funny. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't as funny uh, as that. Uh, that will make sense when you watch it. Like, <laughs> when you do, like it was Die Hard, like thirty-three and a third or something. I don't know. What it's like him in a supermarket. Yeah, it's it? a supermarket. Yeah. yeah, but like I think it might be Taylor Negron playing the uh, you, you know European bad guy. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yes, it's, it's that is very funny. This isn't as funny. This is Dog Trek Afternoon with randomly Benson playing kind of Al Pacino's character from Dog Day Afternoon kind of heisting the <laughs> Starship Enterprise um, to get a uh, alien operation kind of trans operation for his girl face all a bit kind of one of those things he, uh, yeah this, that's this, an obvious combination th- th- this, this suddenly seems very kind of 80s 90s um, it was fine but you know I know Benson is a big Star Trek fan which is why I thought oh I'll give this a watch but that didn't really particularly come across uh, Simpsons mm-hmm. March vs. the Monorail of course uh, with Leonard Nimoy Cosmic Ballet goes on <laughs> playing a sort of himself but he's acting quite Spock like uh, <laughs> in that that's very very funny Captain's Lock Stardate 6051 had trouble sleeping last night my hiatal hernia is acting up the ship is drafty and damp. I complain, but nobody listens. Star Trek 12. So very tired. See the original cast in their latest, greatest adventure. Um, Robot Chicken, I watched a kind of best of reel mm. of Robot Chicken Star Trek series. It, it was some funny stuff in there. Uh, is it the proctologist's exam for, like, you know, uh, where, where McCoy has to give them all a rectal exam? And no. uh, gets to gets to like Sulu, and he goes, "This is not my first rodeo." <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, there must be there must be fucking loads of them because there was one with um, Kirk and Khan running like a pizza joint together, and one with uh, a one to do with uh, Next Generation where it was about who takes over at night, the night crew. Yeah, uh, which the best bit, and I think that it will be Patrick Stewart in his own voice. I think. I don't think it's someone doing impression because he is friends with Seth Green, obviously. Um, and it opens with him on the uh, on the bridge, and he's kind of half asleep, kind of like having a little nap, and he's having a obviously a sexy dream. He's like, "Oh, what's that, Beverly? You want Wesley to watch?" 
like it so. <laughs> just like it's amazing. I uh, just yeah, it's very funny. Um, and the other one which we have talked about before on our comedy of track episode, uh, but I feel we need to mention is of course Adam and Joe's stuff track, which is probably still my favourite uh, Star Trek spoof of yeah. all time. If you haven't seen it, hilarious uh, kind of toy spoof from Adam and Joe of Next Generation. Uh, and that does contain a very good impression of Patrick Stewart as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a kind of wrap on spoofs. If, if there was a favourite Star Trek spoof that we didn't talk about, then please write in and let us know. Because, I, like I say, apart from Star Wars, I think it's probably got to be the most spoof series of all time. Um, you know, so where, I'm sure did, there's loads. Where did people land on Spaceballs? Like, do you That's know Star Wars. I know, but... Yeah, all right. Just oh, do we like it? I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I enjoyed it then. I'm the same. I haven't seen it since... I, I saw it as a kid. I think it... No, but I, I do find it, like... Yeah, it, it's, it's okay. I think there's some good moments in it, but I find Star Trek spoofs much easier to enjoy than Star Wars spoofs. I think they just... Something about Star Wars spoofs just don't, don't really work for mm. me at all. Like, I feel that Space Force would have worked better at the time before those kind of jokes have been done a billion times, because, yeah. like, like we said, with Star Wars, there's, only, there's certain moments that are obvious now, mm. so do it may you, seem a bit too obvious. Do you feel like you're? it's because you're more emotionally connected to Star Wars? Maybe. Yeah. Like it's, like, it's harder for you to... I think, it's, no, I, think it, well, no, I think it's harder for them to get the production value right. Right. So Star Wars always looks a lot more handsome, and Star Trek can you can do it like a little bit more rough around the edges, and it yeah. still be fine to look at, you know, because it is kind of like the cardboard sets, that kind of thing. So because even though it's gone on to be very amazing special effects and stuff, yeah. like, because it had that beginning, because at the beginning, so you can yeah. always approximate that quite easily for a sketch or something like that. So, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think it's e- I think, far easier. I think to, also there's right. a lot more hu- humor to draw from the acting. Potentially. Yeah. So yeah, Star yeah, yeah. Wars, it's like it's just. You know, people could do a Harrison Ford impression, but it's only going to be uh, so funny before. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. Like, uh, yeah, Spaceballs is one I, uh, I, I hesitate to say need to see again, but yeah. like, you know, I think I. Uh, need to see again to see where I sit on it now like I but I know when I was a kid I think I really Moranis is like a good draw for it yeah. I think Mar- get yeah. see him and doing Dark Helmet and John Candy doing it I think yeah yeah, yeah. so there we go next month Spaceballs uh, <laughs> <laughs> a retrospective I think there's a great bit in it where um, John Hurt like is at a, a diner and the chest burster bursts out of him again but then it just puts on a top hat and has a cane and does a d- dance number on the counter <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah as I say let us know if you we haven't mentioned some Star Trek spoof which you think is really amazing and we should have talked about Um, next month we'll be journeying on to another aspect of the kind of Star Trek universe another sort of side special in a way Um, so that'll be really interesting we'll let you know what that's going to be about Uh, until then you can find us on social media Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Spotlight Pod. Uh, you can send us an email at spotlightpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a review at iTunes. That's always nice to see. Don't know whether it helps or not. It's hard to tell. Apparently, the iTunes charts are completely corrupt as well, so God knows. But we just like to see your words of kindness about our show. That means more to it's us. Nice. That, yeah, yeah. Top rank. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we're not in it for rankings. 
if we were, we would be it. is a bloody loser. Get out of here. So, I mean, I tell you who was in it for rankings. Chris Hardwick. Where is he now? <laughs> Hopefully in jail. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be back next time. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Liam. Uh, bye for me, Paul. Bye for me, Matt. <laughs>